0: Oh, Jesus Christ. So we'll take more of your phone calls. No, we won't.
1: Hey, it's Adam Sank. And if you like my radio show, you'll love my comedy album, Adam Sank, live from the Stonewall Inn. <gasps> oh, my goodness. What? What? fellatio? Really? Available on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. Get ready for comedy. Almost horny! Politics. The gay spin on the story was like, Queen Elizabeth fucking loves us. Pop culture. I'm not a sports fan. I don't follow this shit. Sexual harassment of celebrity guests. And you are always welcome in my apartment in New York City. <laughs> and by my apartment, I mean my bad <laughs> and poetry hotter than Vesuvius more well endowed than the Mastodon it's the Adam Sank Show on Derek and Romaine 2.0 and for the next hour you're in the ass hey, fuck yeah. and now the one, the only
2: Adam Sank
1: bottom yeah. yes it's that time again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and gender nonconformists. It's the Adam Sank Show. Today is Sunday, November 12th, 2017. Donald Trump is still president. Every man in Hollywood is a sexual predator. And we are live. We are live today, if you're listening to this at 3 o'clock Eastern Time on November 12th. So call in and prove that we're live. 844-TALK-DNR. Uh, tell us your thoughts on George Decay and louis ck and richard dreyfus and dustin hoffman and that piece of shit from alabama roy moore and all the other sexual harassers in the news right now we're going to be talking about this today here's my question is sexual harassment any less harmful when it's a gay guy doing it to another gay guy or a lesbian doing it to another lesbian or a gay guy doing it to a woman period or is it just as insidious does it not matter Call in and give us your opinion. Tweet about it using hashtag ass. Email me at adam at adamsank.com. And for God's sake, like the Facebook page. We got like 30 new likes this week. I want more. So go to Facebook and like Adam Sank Show. Uh, our fabulous, wonderful guest co host today is a returning champion to the ass, the one and only, Ryan Frostig. Come on, everyone. Okay. back. Ryan. The last time you were on our show, you were bleeding from a head wound. <laughs> I sure was. But now you're all healed.
2: I still have a bald spot where that wound was, but no staples. A small uh, no bald staples. spot. Good for you. That's nice to have no metal in my head. Yes. Yeah, uh, well, good.
1: congratulations on your recovery and thanks Thank for being you. with us today. You came thanks on a great day be uh, because our, our guest, um, our, our featured guest, is an amazingly talented man who you may or may not have heard of. His name is Rick Crome. He's one of my favorite comedians, but he's so much more than a comedian because he's also been on Broadway in musicals. He's written musicals. Yes. He's a three time Drama Desk Award nominee. Um, people in the general viewing audience might recognize him from uh, Inside Amy Schumer and Louie and all these other shows that he's been on. So Rick is here um, because there's a new documentary about him called Oh Rick. And along with Rick here in the studio will be Dustin Sussman, who's one of the co-directors of the film. So you're going to learn a lot about Rick Chrome today. And I think you'll find it very interesting. Mm. But before that, Ryan, we have breaking news. <gasps> Where's the bell? <laughs> Thank you. Um, this is actually a very sad announcement for gay men the world over. Because our good friend Kevin Israel... Straight comedian Kevin Israel, who was on this show just a few weeks ago with Mike Sicoli, has gotten engaged to his girlfriend Ashley.
2: (laughs) Yay!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Flags are flying at half mast, half staff, all over the gay world. Um, They're they're crying in Chelsea, in Hell's Kitchen. We've
2: lost another
1: in the Castro. Many of us had high hopes that we could turn Kevin, but he has been ensnared. By the beautiful Ashley, who really is beautiful, and um, they seem to be very happy and in love. So congratulations to friend of the show, Kevin Israel and Ashley. And uh, just a word of advice, open marriages work very well, and um, I'm available. Consider it. Okay. And speaking of sexual harassment... so. I came home from work on Friday night and I started putting together the show like I always do. By the way, I don't have a life anymore. I come home and I start working on the radio show. The show
2: is your life. It's
1: my life. So I didn't go out Friday night, didn't get laid, didn't have any drinks, just worked on the show. And I thought, oh, well, we'll be talking about Louis C.K. The whole fucking show will be Louis C.K. Right. And literally as I sit down to start working on the show, news breaks about first Richard Dreyfus.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Kind of surprising. Not that big a deal. Sure. And then George Decay.
2: Yeah, that's. Oh my. Really upsetting. Oh
1: my. (laughs) Now, uh, George Decay. In case you've been under a rock for the last uh, forty-eight hours, has been accused by a former male model. He's still male, but he's no longer a model. um, Of essentially groping him when he was either drunk, and/or drugged, or unconscious at George's apartment in nineteen eighty-one. Um, this is a guy that no one ever heard of until now. And his name is Scott Brunton. He told The Hollywood Reporter. Um, he said what inspired him to talk to the reporter is that George had taken a stand against sexual predators when all these other cases had come up and had said, like, this is unacceptable. And right. men who use their power to um, to to sexually harass people are... It's, Inexcusable. So this guy was like... He's like, uh-uh, hunty. Yeah, you did this to me. You did this. So he was calling out the hypocrisy. So I, on Friday night, I posted this on my Facebook page. I just posted a link to the Hollywood Reporter article, and I said, oh no, George, not you too. Right. And a lot of people on my Facebook page lost their shit. As they tend to do. Lost their shit. And I want to hear from some of you. Uh, call us at 844-TALK-DNR if you think that, like... George Takei is being maligned, if this is unfair, if the accuser's is a fame whore, if, if this doesn't count as sexual harassment. I, I heard so many um, really passionate defenses of George, and I had to do like a follow-up post where I was basically like, listen, I love George Takei as much as anyone else does. Sure. I love him. I don't want this to be true. But if it is true, this accuser has every right to come forward and tell his story, just like every other victim of or alleged victim, of harassment-slash-assault-slash-sexual misconduct. Right. And the same with Louis. Like, I fucking love Louis C.K. I'm a huge fan. But five women
2: said that he jerked off in front of them, and then he, Admitted, to his credit, said, yes, I did do that. Which, in some ways, sets him apart, because a lot of people have just been denying the claims, or just not, you know, They've
1: all denied it, except Harvey said that there, that maybe he acted... Sleazy, but he never assaulted anyone and he, there was never non-consensual sex. Right. Spacey
0: kind of said like, he doesn't remember. Like maybe it happened. Like, maybe uh, it happened. I don't
1: know. Right. Yeah. And P.S. I'm gay. Um but the rest of them have just adamantly uh for the most part have adamantly denied it. Richard Dreyfus said, yes, he did flirt mm-hmm. inappropriately with women at that time in his life. He he denies ever showing this woman his penis, which she claims happened. But but he knew her. Right. I mean, in most of these cases, it's not like these people are just coming out of the woodwork and no one's ever heard of them before. Like Richard Drivers' accuser knew him and worked with him. Right. You know, um, Harvey Weinstein obviously knew all those women. Louis C.K. knew those. You know,
2: Anthony Rapp had worked with worked with Kevin
1: Spacey. That's documented. So newspapers, legitimate newspapers, don't print these accusations unless there's some.
2: You know, uh, credibility to at least the timeline, and you made a good point on your um, on that post, which was that because of course people are going straight to like these are uh, fame-seeking, you know, whatever. Uh, But I looked up that guy; you can't find any pictures. Nowhere. There, there is nothing found on the internet about about this person so if he's a fame whore he's he's the worst fame whore ever because he's got
1: no instagram no twitter no facebook he doesn't even have a tumblr
2: come on he doesn't have a
1: myspace
2: let's get it together
1: so again i don't know what happened i wasn't there right but I think he gets as much consideration, or should, as any of the other accusers. And the fact that we all love George Takei... Should have nothing to do just with it. It has nothing to do with it. You can't only defend the people you like and then say, oh, but about these other shitheads, it's true. Because that's what the fucking Trump supporters do. Right. And we, we're better than them, yes. right?
2: I'd like to think so.
1: So this... Piece of shit, Roy Moore. Who really? If Roy Moore had never touched a woman in his life, he'd still be the worst human being on <laughs> earth. He's like a terrible racist. Yeah,
2: it just it, hates everyone. Hates. That's not.
1: Gabe calls us calls us like sodomists. Sure. Uh, believes that you know Muslims don't deserve a free speech or the right to vote in this country. I mean, he's as extreme as you can get. So when a fourteen when a, when a woman says that when she was fourteen he sexually uh, touched her and um, and you know had sexual relations with her. If not, I don't think they had intercourse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe her completely because I hate him. Yeah, and because it seems like something that a fake evangelical hypocrite would do. Right. But if I believe her, you have to. I have to believe George Takei's accuser. And George Takei's accuser is not a- alleging anything like rape or or anything that heinous. But but at the same time, like grabbing someone's dick when they're like passed out.
2: It's not okay. It's not okay. It's against the law. Right. And I think that like in general, we have a hard time collectively as a society, just listening, just listening to people. Like I do. Some, I do too. I don't, I, don't I don't listen to anyone. I don't listen to anyone either. I, I have selective <laughs> hearing. But I think that, you know, if someone is coming forward and and a lot of people have said, oh, well, why have, why have they waited so long? You know, th- this was, this right. was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Sexual harassment, sexual abuse is not the easiest thing to come forward about. It, it definitely brings a lot of. Especially against powerful people. That could ruin your life.
1: And by the way, these allegations were made mm-hmm. in the past. Lu- the Louis C.K. stories have been around for years. Jezebel sure. wrote about them two years ago. The Harvey Weinstein stories have been around since the 90s. What has changed is that there- we're now at this cultural flashpoint. Yes. Where. Enough people are coming forward that it can no longer be swept under the rug.
2: And we're holding people and that's accountable. that's a good thing. Yeah.
1: That's a good thing. And I hope that no one is getting falsely accused and maligned. I get that it really fucks with your career. But like the bigger uh, the, the, the bigger outcome of this is that maybe guys and it's usually guys yeah. are going to be a little more careful and a little bit more thoughtful about how they treat other people. Yeah, especially when they're in a position of power, and it's made me look at my own behavior. Listen, I I would like to think that I've never in my life been a sexual predator, but I've I've been like sleazy, I've been slutty. I believe it. I've done things that probably made someone uncomfortable at one time or another, and I need to really think about that and and look at myself going forward and go, oh, just because I want this guy
2: doesn't mean that like he wants me. Yeah, and if someone says no. Or is in a position where they don't have the ability to say yes or no and you make sexual advancements on them that is sexual harassment yes. so let's
1: it's advances not advancements. oh
2: whatever but uh, but yes
1: ryan your point is well well <laughs> taken um so i don't want to spend too much time on this uh because there's a lot of other things we want to get to and we have our guest of course but uh, but do call in if you're listening live and uh, you want to make your your voice known. I know there's a lot of anger about my sort of giving credence to George Takei's accuser, and I, I'm sorry, but I stand by it. I don't, I'm not saying it happened. I'm saying he has to be given the same consideration as all the other accusers. Um, on to happier news, much happier news. Yes. We had a incredible night on Tuesday for Democrats and progressives and for people who don't usually get elected to higher office including in the virginia assembly danica rome
2: will be the first
1: openly trans person to be elected and seated Um, there have been other trans people who were elected to office but for one reason or another they ended up not serving their term but but uh but she uh she's 33 years old from northern virginia and what's most exciting about her victory is that she beat a totally awful republican named Bob Marshall who is like the biggest homophobe/transphobe in Virginia. He authored one of those horrible bathroom bills. And during the campaign, he would not call her by her correct gender. He would not debate her. He basically dismissed her because he was so sure that he was going to win. Uh, again, his name is Bob Marshall. So after Danica's victory, she was interviewed by Lawrence O'Donnell on uh, MSNBC, and Lawrence O'Donnell asked her about her opponent. Starting next year, Delegate Marshall will be one of my constituents, and I'm not
3: going to attack my own constituents. I think if there's any lesson that comes out of the race this year, it's about attacking your constituents,
0: singling them out,
3: stigmatizing them,
1: and trying to make people feel bad about themselves. That's not our Virginia. That's not our Prince William County. It's not our Manassas Park. Our Virginia is a commonwealth where we celebrate each other because of
3: who they are, not despite it.
2: She's really awesome. Yes. Also, the fact that she is the lead singer of a heavy metal screamo band (laughs) is—is she the lead singer or is she a drummer? I thought she was a singer. She, she may be a drummer. You may be right. But yeah, she performs in a heavy metal rock band. I mean
1: she She's really fucking cool. And, and the, the other thing about her campaign is she didn't really talk about being trans or trans issues. Her main issue was a congested state highway in her district. And those are the kind of issues that local voters care about. Sure. They didn't give a fuck that she was trans. She went door to door and her people went door to door and they were like, we are going to fix the traffic problem in this part of Virginia. And people were like, okay. And this dude, Bob Marshall had served for like 25 years in the state legislature. He was one of these unbeatable uh, politicians and she fucking beat him. It was a great night for Democrats. Virginia has a new democratic governor. New Jersey has a new democratic governor. Uh, The Virginia assembly uh, may have flipped power from, Republican to Democrat, they're still recounting the close races, but they had been 66-33 right. in favor of Republicans, and now it looks like Democrats have like a couple vote majority. So that's just, it's amazing. And, and, amazing. And then yeah. the other thing was in Montana, in Helena, which I believe is the capital, uh-huh. they elected not only their first African, uh, first, I'm not going to say African American, he's African. They, they elected their first black mayor who is a, a Liberian immigrant. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Montana. <laughs> it's fucking white. Yeah. And it's a, like a, you know, one of those places where you do not expect an African immigrant to win the mayoral race in a major city. Um, so it was just a great night in in Hoboken, New Jersey, right here outside of New York City. They elected a Sikh mayor. It's huge. One of the only Sikhs to ever win public office in a city that has like maybe a hundred Sikhs. So <laughs> right. it was, I, I just think this was like a huge fuck you to Donald Trump
2: yeah. And of course he wanted so badly to tweet, you know, Republicans had a major landslide, da 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 da, but he had nothing to say.
1: Yeah, he he basically blamed Ed Gillespie, the Republican candidate in Virginia, for not embracing him. He's like, He didn't embrace me and that's why he lost. It's always about him. Yeah. Oh, he's such a piece of shit. All right, so that was the good news. Um the bad news is that out in San Francisco an adult film star who performs under the name Ali Liam is in police custody uh, nearly a week after his boyfriend was stabbed to death 48 year old Keith Harris was murdered inside his apartment in Hayes Valley last Wednesday he was discovered by his building manager after people hadn't seen him for a few days police were unable to find 26 year old Ali for nearly a week but they finally located him and arrested him, and he's currently detained in an involuntary psychiatric hold at San Francisco General Hospital. Yikes. I don't have any more details, but you know what I'm going to say. Let's hear it. Meth. Yeah. I won't be shocked if this is somehow meth-related, because that drug destroys people and turns them into monsters and... You know here was a a beautiful, healthy, wonderful man, this 48 year old Keith Harris, with whom uh, I had a lot of mutual friends. Mm-hmm. Jack McEnroth was a close friend of his sure. and um
2: what's the what's the guy's name?
1: So his real name is Al Al Qureshi Ali, but he performs under Ali Liam. He's incredibly hot, a very muscular guy. And Queerty was kind of covering both the murder and the apprehension rather closely, I think, because of the whole porn star angle was somewhat salacious. But um, Ooh. but that's not a good story. Yeah. So I'm glad he's in custody, and um, you know, just be careful out there, everyone. Don't do meth, and don't do meth again. I don't know. I don't know anything about the case. I'm sure. just saying. Um, when things go horribly wrong. With gay men, meth seems to be more and more the culprit, or at least a contributing factor. In much later news, Harvard is offering a course called Anal Sex 101.
2: That uh, is... Uh, uh,
1: this is actual audio from the class at Harvard.
2: This sounds like... um. Some a guy running in flip-flops. It's my favorite.
1: <laughs> Ryan calls when someone's getting fucked up the ass, he calls it running in flip-flops because <laughs> of the sound.
2: The actual name...
1: Uh, <laughs> uh,
2: does, does, that sounds like... You like,
1: know that sound. You've heard that before. <laughs> the actual name of the course is What's What in the Butt, Anal Sex 101.
2: <laughs> no. What? Seriously? No.
1: And it's part of the school's annual sex week. It's a week of programming that is interdisciplinary, thought-provoking, scholastic, inno- innovative and applicable to student experiences in order to promote a holistic understanding of sex and sexuality. Instantly, this is the kind of thing that makes like Fox News channel lose its mind. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure they mentioned it like every chance they could get on those uh, nighttime shows. The Ivy League students will learn the ins and outs of having safe, pleasurable anal sex. And we'll cover topics like uh, anal anatomy, uh, basic preparation, hygiene, lubes,
2: anal toys, and penetration for beginners. Th- that's very important. I mean, listen, every, I think this course should be offered at every university, every public school, every <laughs> private school. I think this is amazing. Especially
1: know- at Brigham Young University. Where the Mormons those?
2: (laughs) Where those lazy tops don't know what they're doing.
1: Exactly. Uh, Here's what the um, description in the official Harvard Sex Week website says. It says, come learn everything about anal sex from the experts of Good Vibrations, a sex positive store located right here in Brookline. By the way, we should mention this isn't an actual Harvard class that's in the curriculum. This was during a week. It's like a seminar during a week called Sex Week. ...that they have at Harvard, which, again, will make Fox News pundits explode. Um, This year marks the fourth consecutive run of Sex Week, which is coordinated annually by the Sexual Health Education and Advocacy through Harvard College, or SHEATH, a student-run group that describes itself as being dedicated to empowering... Oh, this is too long to read. (laughs) Who cares? Um... Some have raised concerns about the type of classes that are offered during sex week. One Harvard student, Molly Wharton, reportedly told the College Fix website that she wasn't initially well versed in what this year's installment will involve, but added, After looking at the schedule events, I do question the amount of time and resources that went into planning and funding these events, some of which are downright vulgar at a place like Harvard. Ugh. I can't imagine there are not more worthwhile educational programs and initiatives to which Harvard resources should be devoted. She's a buzzkill.
2: And she's obviously never had anal sex. Fuck you, Molly. Because if she had, it probably wasn't great, and she would want someone to be educated.
1: Although I maintain that I don't expect any woman to enjoy anal sex. I know some do. I know many Mm -hmm. do.
2: I don't, yeah, I mean, you, you do you. But it
1: always surprises me when I when I find out that a woman really likes it because again they don't have a prostate, right? Bottom. I mean, <laughs> bottom.
2: I, on the other hand, do have a prostate. Bottom, and I enjoy it. I do too. I'm I'm learning to enjoy bottom. bottom. Again, Chippy's
1: <laughs> really going at it with the bottom sound effect today. Um, speaking of fucking, okay, so here's one of these stories that. It comes out and it's all over Facebook. But when I go to look and try to confirm like secondary and tertiary sources, I can't find any. Mm -hmm. This basically all came from one source. And I even Googled the names of the people involved to see if I could find police records. Couldn't find any. Much like George Takei's (laughs) accuser, (laughs) these people don't exist online. So take this with a grain of salt. But this happened on October 22nd. It's one of my favorite stories of the month. Cousins arrested after refusing to stop having sex during funeral ceremony. This hot... (laughs) By the way, the pictures of them that were posted on Facebook, Uh, they're monstrous. They literally look like monsters. Like hot monsters? No, like people you would never want to have sex with at a funeral or anywhere else. This happened... (laughs) Not that unhot people don't deserve to have sex with their cousins if they want to. (laughs) But this happened in Alabama, of course. Of course. Roy Moore's home state. In Talladega. An Alabama couple has been arrested after refusing to stop having sexual intercourse during their grandmother's funeral ceremony because they had the same grandma.
2: Right. Right.
1: Tiffany Bates, 31, and Clifton Bridges, which sounds like a a nighttime soap opera from the 90s, Clifton Bridges is 19. Tiffany Bates is 31. First cousins, they were apprehended by Talladega County Police after employees of the Talladega Funeral Home complained that the couple was having not just sex, but loud sex, quote, perturbing funeral services. That's Alabaman for disturbing. Mm-hmm. Perturbing, as well as, quote, scaring the guests. That's This, I believe. Uh, Where? Well...
3: Ah, ah. Like, in the
1: bathroom. (laughs) So, they were meters away from the actual ceremony, under a blanket. Where'd they get Uh a blanket? You know, (laughs) in Alabama, you bring a blanket to a funeral, just in case you want to snuggle up.
2: B-Y-O-B. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Quote, We alerted Talladega police after several unsuccessful attempts to stop them from having sex on the property of the funeral home, explained the funeral home employee, Jane Andrews. The woman just kept screaming. Wait, this is my favorite quote. I'm going to read it like someone from Alabama. The woman just kept screaming and the boy just kept pounding her like he was in a porn movie. They both looked
2: high as fuck. (laughs) Said another employee. I mean, it does kind of sound like a premise for like a bad porno. Yeah, like one of those like
1: ridiculously bad like, porno. Oh, I
2: really miss Granny. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make
1: ourselves feel better. There's no law against first cousins having consensual sexual relationships in Alabama because, of course, there's it's not. Alabama. So, no charges will, will be pressed on that account, Sheriff. Uh, Adam Watts said yesterday the couple faces 26 charges of lewd and lascivious behavior, disturbing the peace obscenity in a public place and drug possession. Oh! <laughs> That's how they finished. Yeah. Ryan, what's the uh, what's the strangest place you've ever had sex? Or I should say, what's the most inappropriate place you've ever had sex? Um,
2: oh, God. Well, I used to have sex at school a lot, like in the bathroom. Um, but that's not really like crazy.
1: School meaning college, College,
2: yeah. What kind of bathroom? So, (laughs) we had this bathroom at our college that was called the Tranny Bathroom, which I know is oh, that's yeah, yeah. yeah, not okay, not okay, but it was because it was no, it was like a all gender, you know, whatever. And so, people would go in there to like vape, have sex, drink. I mean, all sorts of things happened in that bathroom, and. I just performed how nice for the trans people who just wanted to use just the wanted to use the bathroom. Yeah. I mean, you know, with people like me going in there and, you know, giving head and doing all sorts of stuff. Oh. But <laughs> uh I don't know. Lots of places. What about you? So I had to think about this because um
1: I mean, I've had sex in a lot of inappropriate places, a lot of public places, but I think the most inappropriate was I hope my mother's not listening. So back in like 2005, I want to say, a friend of mine got free tickets to see a, a an off-Broadway show at the Lucille Lortel Theater. And it was starring the woman who played the original Angel in Angels in America. I don't know the actress's name, but he was one of her favorites. So um, I really, I didn't know anything about it. He's just like, oh, I love this woman, and she's in a play at the Lucille Lortel, and I have tickets. So we get there and we were like in like the fifth row and it turned out that it was a Holocaust play. It was basically her, it was a one woman show and it was her reading letters from the Warsaw ghetto that she had written to her son as she's like about to be exterminated by the Nazis. So it was dreadful and I was like bored and yeah. antsy and it was wintertime so we had big heavy coats with us and uh, my friend had his coat on his lap and at the time we were sort of fooling around. We were like in that huh. beginning stages of friendship where you sometimes still fool around before yeah, you yeah. become really good friends. And I may or may not have jerked him off under the coat during the Holocaust play. Hot. After which he immediately fell asleep.
0: <laughs> as and <we> <laughs>
1: As one does. And he... Oh. <laughs> And he slept through the rest of the uh, of the Holocaust play, and that was um, that was it. So I think that's probably that's worse than the Seinfeld episode where they you know make out during Schindler's List. I think.
2: Yeah, I just remembered that I had a similar experience in high school on a bus with a guy named Jake, mm. and uh, he had a he was like a punk guy and he had a bandana and we would you know jerk each other off and then he would use that was like he, he like carried a you know, cum rag with him. That might have been. He carried it like for. Like it was like a fashion statement. Like he was like punk, and he had like you know his bandana and all his stuff. But like we would jack each other off, and then
1: would he wash it in between?
2: I don't. I didn't. Sessions.
1: Care. All right. Well, well, this is a perfect segue to our guest, <laughs> because Rick Crome is an award-winning comedian, actor, singer, lyricist, and composer. He's appeared in countless TV shows and specials, as well as on Broadway and off Broadway. He's a three-time Drama Desk Award nominee. He is now the subject of a brand-new documentary which premieres tonight here in New York City. It's called Oh, Rick. Here's a little bit of Rick Crome's stand-up.
3: Yeah, you know, here in New York, we we passed a gay rights bill not too long ago, and people were saying that the Orthodox Jewish community and the gays will never get together to resolve their differences because there might be violence. And that's, you know, that's silly because you put Jews and gays together, you don't get violence, you get theater. (laughs) 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 Thank you. Did you get that, Pittsburgh? Yeah. I did that line down in Georgia. They just went, get the roof.
1: I am thrilled to welcome to the ass, Rick Crome, and one of the directors of the documentary, Dustin Sussman.
3: Come on. Yes. 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 Oh, my God. Oh, what a thrill. It is a thrill to have you. To be here with Adam
1: Sank. I mean, your career is at a pinnacle, clearly. (laughs) A a, a pinnacle? That's...
3: (laughs) It's like a cliff that they push you off of. It's <laughs> it, right. it, it, it's uh And you
1: guys are the best guest uh best dressed guests we've ever had. Rick is in a full suit and tie. Yeah. Dustin is in a lovely extravaganza. And oh.
0: I have a more fancy suit for the pre- our film is premiering this evening. But oh. did you dress for this show? You do know it's radio. Well, we just had a little meal, a little steak. Oh. We had
3: a little meal celebrating the Start of the film, the movie, the movie.
0: Well, you look wonderful. Uh, well,
1: thank, thank you. Dustin actually looks like a, a like a senior at like some bitchy prep school where like <laughs> the, all the kids get hazed.
0: It's like uh, this, uh, up lapel. Spader. You know some eighties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, You're very
1: little, James Spader right now.
2: Yeah.
1: Rick, you uh, are accomplished in so many areas. When I was writing your intro, and I of course had to Wikipedia you to get all
3: of it. Uh, but, I had to change that page, by the way. That's, did you? Uh,
1: what, what did it say that it was wrong?
3: No, nothing said. Really, just uh, there's other things to add to it now because it's so old. That's a good thing. But yeah, but uh, but
1: but honestly, like people, I think people that know you know you mostly as a comedian. But you you, you can do so many other things. You know, you're you're a Broadway performer. You're a, a composer. You're, you're you can play the piano. What w- of everything that you do? What came first?
3: Oh, I. think think that uh the music came first when i was a kid and from there uh i started doing characters and things like that along with the music it was a weird kind of all uh these skills kind of developed all at once you know because i I grew up on tv variety shows Mm -hmm. you know like the red skelton show and the uh Back in the, well, all of the shows back. The then. Judy Garland show. No, well, there's a little. That was a little before I started watching them. I wish I wish I watched the Judy Garland show. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, I laughing, I laughing, uh, Laughin, trying the to think. Sonny of... Sunny and Share show, right? The Danny Kaye show, the Carol Burnett show, mm-hmm. the, you know, all of that stuff. So um, yeah, I, I it started with the music, and then I started investigating other things I could do, and so I. I decided I want to be a musical comedy entertainer. Right. Do you remember Danny Thomas?
1: Sure. Marlo's father. Marlo's father. Was, father. was into Scat. It,
3: it, no, no, no. Nah. <laughs> that, that was always
1: the rumor. That
3: I, why would a man with that, that kind of nose be into Scat? That's what I'm saying. You're making it, you're making it dirty. Well, his right. daughter
1: starred in Scat Girl. So, you know, you know. Never... No, that was that Oh, I see.
3: Rainbows, shit stains, Scat Girl. <laughs> All right, so you
1: were saying about Danny Thomas.
3: Anyway, here was a guy. He would come out. He would sing a couple of uh, funny songs, tell a lot of jokes. The audience would be laughing. Then he'd do a couple of voices. He'd sing a sad song. Everybody would cry. He went, I want to do that. So that's what I started out trying to do.
1: And so what was your first gig like out of college? Did you
3: go to college? I did not go to college proper. I spent a lot of time in college dorms with my friends who did go to college.
1: Okay. <laughs> it's probably the best of, of you know that's the best possible yeah, situation.
3: Absolutely. They weren't going to class either. So
1: So what was your first professional gig?
3: I think as a stand up comic?
1: As anything.
3: Oh well I worked in a wedding band. Okay. When I was when I was eighteen years old. And they would pay me money to play you know, play the guitar and sing in this wedding band. Tie a yellow ribbon round the old. right. I sing the shit out of that. Sure, yeah, and uh, uh, so. And would you? Yeah. Were you a
1: funny wedding singer? Would you do I, banter I, during the? I
3: would say. I would say even before that, seventeen or eighteen years old. I had. Uh, I would. I was playing little restaurant gigs and things like that with a partner of mine. Uh, no, uh, the, being funny and all that stuff, uh, not in the wedding band. No. Not in the it game. was just straight
1: music. Straight music so when God. does the comedy start?
3: Uh, Nineteen seventy-seven, Cobart's Comedy Cove in in Chicago, spelled All with three K's, three K's by K's, the way. Yeah. Oh, like the KKK. Yeah, isn't that funny? That's <laughs> a great idea. You know, Chicago was wacky in those days. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, and uh, it—I was a guitar act. I would do impressions. I mean, Rich Little was a huge um, influence of mine. You remember Rich sort of Sure, of course. So here, so I. Played the guitar, played a little piano at the time, but I played the guitar. I did I did what would be considered today a hacky act, yeah. but I loved it. I would come out, I would do impressions with the guitar, I would do Neil Diamond and John Denver and Tom Jones, and and I would do song parodies, and then I would do regular straight stand-up in there, and, uh, and I was...
1: And you did impressions like Rich? Yeah. Like, yeah. who would you do? Would you do his impressions? Like Sometimes, Nixon and... Johnny Carson Oh god
3: yeah we that's how you learn David Fry was a big uh, impressionist in 68 69 and everybody was doing their Nixon impression. Yeah. At that time. What do you want me to do the Nixon sure. impression? I I come here today because I have nowhere to go. That's a pretty good Nixon. It's
1: better than Riches. You know, I mean, I think when you know, Rich Little. I follow Americans.
3: I mean, I haven't done Richard Nixon forever. I but, think
1: I think Rich Little and Dana Carvey because they were both such seminal impressionists. When people do impressions, they actually are doing Rich Little doing someone or Dana sure. Carvey doing someone. But that you actually sound like Nixon. Uh,
3: well, thank you. I, I, <laughs> yes, and, and and Carvey. If you're asking me, I'd say Carvey's Carson is a little too high because he does he does Carson way way up here way. Up here, whereas uh, as, uh, Johnny Carson was, was more right here. Yes. Uh, Johnny Carson, I, I know what you, you love me tonight, but will you respect me in the morning? Either yes. Maybe an anyway, mus- he was down here.
1: And as a musician, you're sensitive to the pitch. Yeah. And I think be- a lot of comedians are also musicians, I've noticed. And I think it's because we hear things in a very, very yeah. precise way. And if you do a voice that's too high or too low, it doesn't sound right. You know, and and That's even right. even when the way your voice goes up or down in, in a joke affects how funny it is. Sure,
3: and you uh, you talked to I've spoken to Daryl Hammond about this, where you can get the inflection, the way the person speaks the speech pattern, you can get that perfectly, but if you if you're not getting the musical pitch, it's it sounds off. Right. You know, you, again, it's like if you, if you're going to do John Wayne, well, if you don't do them down here, if you do him. Well, I'm John Wayne. Well, no, you're not John Wayne.
1: Right. It's so, a different person. Yeah,
3: so you have to that, – that, that's what I found when I was doing impressions, is mainly was just trying to get that musical pitch right. Dustin, yeah. I want to
1: ask you about this documentary, which mm-hmm. premieres tonight at the uh, IFC here in New York City. Um, w- why make a documentary about this man, and why do it now? What inspired yeah, you and what your and your fellow I filmmakers? Um, I don't, I don't why couldn't know. you have done it 40 years ago when you really needed it? <laughs> when
0: I needed it, now that I'm done, now that <laughs> well, I'm over. Uh, I mean, Rick and I met, uh, I lived in L.A. for a while, I lived there for about eight years, and uh, I was a commercial actor, and uh, I've done every, you know, I studied the Groundlings and all these places, and I eventually ended up working for a TV network. And I moved out to New York. I was here for a couple years, and I actually ended up taking Rick's stand-up comedy class. An excellent course. An excellent course. I would actually consider him the only. I I shouldn't say it, but I think most people that teach stand-up classes are taking people. Well, it's also you can't. It's nearly impossible to find somebody like Rick who is so established and so respected within the industry that, again, he's not. He's not taking your money. It's
1: true. Most comedy teachers are people you've never heard of. You've never heard of. You know Um, those who can't do
0: totally and i mean he just uh, the thing is about rick which i learned because i started coming to class early and rick rick and i became friends and um basically you know the more i started talking to him i'm like this guy's really like downplaying everything about himself you know i think he was just so i was like man so I, i just think after a while i just asked him briefly like oh maybe we could you know shoot something short you know about you and we shot it and i mean truthfully rick was you know i asked him to see maybe if we could get a comic or two in the film and at the time you know it's crazy to think about it now, but Rick didn't, he was afraid to ask anybody. Um, and then once we uh, got uh, Colin Quinn and a few others, it, it kind of opened up to this, you know, once they started talking about it, I was like, Rick, I mean, you have like his history within the club and within comedy, he was really downplaying it. So, and even when we just did now him doing impressions, there's so many layers to him as a performer, as an entertainer, um, way more than anybody at the comedy cellar, most comedy clubs for that matter. So it sounds cheesy, but when I met him and came up with the idea, I just honestly wanted to do something nice for him. I thought he deserved it. And I think sometimes, yeah, when you're, you know, true about something like that i think the things just you know it started to work out right um and it kind of sp- bought me a car or a handjob <laughs> that would have been nice but, too uh, <laughs> yeah, totally. but, but we'll uh, get to that in a moment a later but uh but yeah i think you know that <sighs> that was <laughs> that was uh you know that that's basically how it started and and it kind of kind of took on a life of its own and not to get too deep into it but i think rick and i were very similar i think in our careers at the time where we were kind of partially in a stagnant place and not really sure what we were doing and um you know at that point i think the the project we were helping each other you know and i think it did kind of hit this parallel level where um yeah we were it was both one and the same and we were you know helping each other i mean he's helped me i think as much as you know i've tried to help him
1: and you're the same age which obviously is important uh,
0: yeah uh, doesn't it, he look if i had a son doesn't he look like he could be my <laughs> he son? really could yeah. his jewish long-lost son yeah no, I,
3: and i'm not jewish but but uh, i i you know, I, we,
1: Dustin, we I wouldn't necessarily nose. take you for a Jew. I mean, you're very blonde.
0: Well, I'm, I'm a German Jew. Yeah. So I'm the chosen people. So he hates himself. <laughs> Two times. Yeah, exactly. I hate myself. Self-deprecating. Um, no, I definitely don't look like your average Jew.
1: Dustin mentioned the Comedy Cellar. And for those of you not in New York, the Comedy Cellar is sort of the comedy club in New York City for established talent. Um, when Jerry wasn't,
3: wasn't always
1: wasn't always but but nowadays i mean when jerry seinfeld or louis ck or someone of that stature wants to like surprise the audience and and try out some new material they'll almost always go to the cellar and it's it's a place i've never gotten to perform at just to give you some idea of where my career is at after 14 Mm. years but rick was the longtime mc at the Mm. cellar and uh I know from emceeing many many shows. People think of it as kind of like, oh, it's a job that you give the new comic who doesn't really know what he's doing yet. It, in fact, it's the hardest job, and the most important job. Talk about that a little bit about what makes the because you are the quintessential MC. Ah, and and uh, and talk about what what that takes.
3: Well, I I think um, there are those who will take uh, be in the. The role of hosting a show—that think it's just about introducing people and filling time in between. But uh, uh, when I started doing it, I thought that the idea is that uh, the MC of the show sets the tone of the whole room. That's right. It's like this is—I'm having a big party, ladies and gentlemen, and I have some special guests. I really want to—I really want to present to you exactly. So the host. His main job is making his guests look good. Yes, and and building them up, and then having a rapport with the audience, which is separate from the show. You right, know, as you know, when you've you've hosted shows, you you start little conversations with the audience. You keep checking in on people to see how 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 their date is going or whatever the the through line is, uh, and it's very important that a uh, uh, a good MC uh, realizes that that he's. Putting together the uh, the energy of the whole room as it's as it's going on, he's got to be constantly aware of the energy. If if the act that's on now, let's say, doesn't do so well, and I have another person coming on who's maybe lower energy, I have to do something in between there. You got to
1: bring that crowd back,
3: You're right? Got to bring them back, and I've got to go through my Rolodex of material in my head to see what can I do that will raise the energy, get them ready for the next act, and a lot of. Um, MCs don't realize that that's their job. Right. That, they and, just come
1: out and say, okay, our next comic coming to the yeah. stage is a really funny guy. Please yeah. get it. And, and I think there's a kind of a resentment about it. But you turned yeah, it.
3: It used in, to be like this okay, there's that hole. Now there's five minutes of me. Now here's this asshole. Now right. five, minutes, five more minutes of me. But
1: yeah, you, you turned it into what it should be. You know, A show! It's a show! It's
3: a show. I, I would sing songs and play the piano. Right. And, and when,
1: when Jimmy Kimmel. MCs the Oscars he's the star of the show and I think that was your approach too was like this is my show I'm bringing it to you I'm the one that's responsible for how it goes and you can't control what other comics do up there but like you just said if someone bombs you gotta bring them back if someone kills you have to know like oh they're already high they don't need me to come out and do Ten minutes right now that's they just right. we just got to keep the show moving and get the
2: next comic upper so he can feed off some of that energy he
3: gets to ride the wave of that energy go ahead
2: run as uh, as uh. someone that is not a stand-up comedian but has been to a few stand-up shows there is there is that feeling when someone is bombing where you're just waiting to be rescued like yeah such a yeah. vulnerable experience for everyone so if it is a good mc if you do have a good mc you're so happy to see them it's like Oh, mm-hmm. you're right. back. You're back. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Thank I you for coming that's exactly. back. That
3: is, most, that is most of the time. However, it can work out. <laughs> <laughs> I've had the experience where, where, especially you have a lot of acts on the show, where um, somebody does okay and another person does okay. And then you keep coming back and they are like, oh, this guy again. <laughs> <laughs> Chance for us to talk. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. No, that at, does and happen. At that point, you're directing traffic, and so you just direct traffic. You just smile sure, and go, go thank you flag. very much, and here's now... But it's always
1: about reading the room. So, yeah. so in all the years that Rick uh performed at the cellar and other new york city clubs he rubbed shoulders with people who are now household names a-list comics and all of them seem to have shown up for this documentary talk about some of the the uh the a-listers that, that talk about rick in this documentary
0: well again i will say again that uh it's funny in the beginning that rick didn't think you know
3: that- well no i didn't want to call in favors and say hey uh, chris rock uh You know, I've never asked you to do anything for me, but uh, would you... By the way, notice what he
0: just said, is he's never asked anybody Mm. ever. That's right. And that's sort of what, uh, in my opinion, and a lot of degrees, that makes Rick so special. And I think that's why people came forward, that they were excited to uh, support him. Like I said, people like Colin Quinn, uh, Jim Norton, Wanda Sykes, uh, obviously Judy Gold. Jeff Ross. Jeff Ross. Ray Romano. Sarah Silverman. Ray Ray Romano. Ray Romano, of course. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think initially when we were talking about it, you know, initially when I was taking his class, I think he was selling himself a little short, and then, like I said, the more we're interviewing people, I'm like, Rick, like, what are you talking about? I mean, it, just his history within the club, we were just talking about is, you know, uh, how important he was to the club. And, you know, he's one of the best when it comes to emceeing, when it comes to resetting the table, you know, comic to comic, he's, you know, in my opinion, I think one of the best I've ever seen. And uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, I think with in terms of the people that came out for him, I think we were both you know surprised at the end of the day um but yeah the the yeah the the energy that they brought i'm yeah it was it was unbelievable we haven't even
1: touched on the fact yet rick that you're openly gay what (laughs) i i I just outed you
3: i just thought i was eccentric to dozens of (laughs) listeners
1: no and uh queen i i think that um i think
3: in my day we didn't say Yas queen
1: (laughs) (laughs) what did you say
3: he said, "Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: have another." You know, I I think that very clearly. You are not a gay comedian. You are a comedian who happens to be gay.
3: Well, I'm not as gay as you. No, no, a <laughs> few people are. Shade.
1: But I no, think. That, I mean. But you've always yeah. been sort of the one gay guy in, in at the club amidst mm-hmm. all of these mostly straight men, not women, but but you know, men predominantly and straight guys. And it's sort of never been perhaps really ne- an issue.
3: No. You no, know, in the eighties and the nineties and so, uh No, it, it's never been an issue, but you know, as comedians will do, uh around the table, uh, you know, we'll bust each other's balls. Yes. You know, we'll find a vulnerable thing to pick at pick at and and of course uh the gay thing was something for them to to go after me for. But never in a derogatory way, just in kind of a, what is that like? What do you guys do? That kind of thing. That's sex. And uh, <laughs> Well, right. And, and, but I would find if you, if you stay on the same level with, with people and uh, you just uh, don't take anything they say as an insult and you turn it back on them, then you're part of the group. And I think that that's what happened is that I was always part of the group, even though I was the perhaps one of maybe three gay guys who were working at the club at the time. So this
1: dovetails perfectly with a clip that we have from when you were on the show, Louie. Yeah, and you're sitting around a table with Louis C.K. and uh, a, a number of a-list comics. You're playing poker.
3: Jim Norton. And, Jim, uh, and yes. Nick DiPaolo. Yes,
1: and, and the Doug. and the topic of the word faggot comes up, right. and whether or not straight comedians can use it on stage. And here's part of of the scene. All
3: right. You might want to know that every gay man in America has probably had that words shouted at them when they're being beaten up. Sometimes many times. Sometimes by a lot of people, all at once. So, when you say it, it kind of brings that all back up. But, you know, by all means, use it. Get your laughs, but, you know, now you know what it means. Okay,
1: thanks, faggot. We'll keep that in mind. (laughs) I love everything about that clip.
3: <laughs> and you notice at the end there, I kissed Nick DiPaolo on the head. Yeah, you go, ma. Right. Just a big old smack around the head.
1: Was that improvised?
3: Uh, I think it was added as we were shooting it. I, I'm not sure if it was improvised or not, or we came up with the idea. But it's very important because it symbolizes that I, I don't lose the scene. No. I, I'm part of the gang, and we do this every week. And that's what we wanted to reflect when we uh, did the scene. Was kind of recreate the feeling at the table or, with those conversations. Some of which were were real conversations. Sure. that were recreated.
1: And that's what comedians uh-huh. do when they're together. You know, yeah. everyone makes fat jokes to the fat guy. Absolutely. People make racist jokes to the black guy. It's about pushing that envelope as until it uh, until it breaks. To to mix a terrible metaphor. And then sort of letting each other know that you're okay with it, yeah. Right, and
3: it's, and it's it's about right saying the most awful thing to a person, and the joke is, I have said the most awful thing I can to you, and we and you have survived, right? You know, it's so it's that I think is is something that is lost a little today. That you know, when you see a guy who's overweight and you say, just how how big do you plan to get, you fat fuck, right? I mean, mean, that is, uh, sure, is it a hurtful? Well, not if you're a comedian, not really.
1: Right. Right. I mean, Don Rickles, that was his entire act, was singling out people in the room and and making fun of their most obvious flaw, and people loved him for it.
3: Yeah. Uh, It's a different mindset, I think, than we have today.
1: I'd need to ask you about Louis, since he is a a friend of yours and someone that you've worked with. Um, And it's really part of this larger issue... Of all of these accusers coming forward and and alleging sexual misconduct, you are always the gay guy in the room, surrounded by straight guys. Yeah. Are you shocked? Did you know this stuff was going on? How does it? What's your reaction to you all know, of this?
3: You know, I always, uh, I am always the person who had no idea what's going on. I had heard no rumors to these effects, and
1: you hadn't even heard the Louis no, rumors. I hadn't heard any of
3: it. You know, no, and and so I and. You know, Louis has spoken to it. He's addressed it. He's put a big mea culpa on the whole thing. And um, and I have not spoken to him since it. So um, but, I don't, but I don't you know, know what it, to say.
1: you know that stand-up is a very male-dominated industry, that women have it much tougher for a lot of reasons.
3: Not, yeah, not like it used to be. Women are much more prevalent in it now than it was.
1: Sure. Yeah. But, I mean, surely over the years you heard stories of women saying, like, this club booker grabbed my ass or this Person said they'd give me a spot if I fucked them. I mean,
3: you—you you had to have known. I have, I have never heard that. Never. That's it. I, I, you know what? I think my personality. People don't offer me that information. <laughs> no. Because I don't think they're going to get the reaction from me that they that they get from other people. Well, I don't jump on board and start condemning people based on rumors, and I I I just. No, I'm I'm always the one who's left out. I have no, I have no idea that this stuff is going on. So we just right.
1: were, we were just talking about the nature of comedy and the yeah. fact that people say shit that's totally politically incorrect, offensive, yeah. hurtful, in fun, in jest. Does this new awareness that we have as a culture does this change that? Does this make it harder to be a comedian because maybe you say something either on stage or behind the scenes and someone takes it as harassment? does it it does it have a chilling effect will it have a chilling effect
3: uh i think it'll amongst those people who are real comedians i don't think we're going to start editing ourselves i think i think as long as we know we can we're you know we don't have onlookers it's the onlookers who are going to be the big pain in the ass the people who are like the the friend of the comedian who is sitting in a conversation and somebody will say something of that's a you know, we would find offensive, would not find offensive that they will. And they're going to run to page six with it. Right. That kind of thing.
1: Because I'm thinking uh-huh. about my own act, such yeah. as it is. I mean, on my comedy album, I have a bit about grabbing a straight guy's dick because he's wearing shorts with no underwear on it. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe that joke's not funny. Maybe it was never funny, but maybe it's really not funny now. Because, well, it was because we have this heightened of, sensitivity.
3: It's a, yeah, it's absurd. And, it's, and the idea that you would really do it. Right. I've never it, done it. You, know, you would never do it. And in, you know, a lot of what we do, I don't want to burst any bubbles here, but a lot of what we do in comedy is made up. Yes, mostly. It's, it's fantasy, it's, a, it's exaggeration, what if. Right. So, you know. Right. As Jessica
1: Kirsten said, I've never actually fucked a goat. She tweeted that. (laughs) I've never actually (laughs) fucked a gun. In the time remaining, uh, we need to play my favorite game, which is Ask Me No Questions. That's A-S-S, me no questions. (laughs) Speaking of sexual innuendo. And by the way, we need a theme song for Ask Me No Questions. So listeners, if you want to uh, create one and send it to me, I would appreciate it. Number one, boxers or briefs? Briefs. Who's been the best president in your lifetime?
3: Mm, My lifetime. Uh, I would say... Roosevelt. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> uh, <laughs> why? You're, you're a little bit of a con, aren't you? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm going to say it's either uh, Obama or um, G, 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 Eisenhower.
1: Interesting. Mm-hmm. A Republican.
3: Well, Eisenhower was, you know, he was a general who the Democrats wanted to run him, too. Right, so
1: he was middle of the road.
3: Yeah, a 1954 Republican it was not like these crazy. It's not, it's
1: not like debates. Roy Moore. What was your favorite decade and why?
3: Oh, I think that the 1980s was my favorite decade uh, because I was just coming into my own and things were starting to. I was becoming an adult. I started working at the Comedy Cellar. I started working clubs all over. I I had gone from being You know, a a want to be to actually being. Right. So uh, it was uh, 80s weird because 80s was also the AIDS decade. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of gay men
1: would say the 80s were sort of the worst of it.
3: The worst, yeah. In terms of that, yes. So that was a uh, hmm. Yeah, so if I if I bring that in there, then no. Not, <laughs> but professionally not, but for, for you, professionally for me, and yeah.
1: I mean, there's nothing better than being young and successful at the same time. I I wouldn't know, right. but I'm told that that's <laughs> a really fun. And and you were on the uh, original Caroline's Half Hour Comedy Hour. Yes, yes, during the 80s, right? Yeah,
3: and also the 90s were great because that's when I started doing all the Broadway stuff.
1: Yes, you so, were. We should say you were in the Goodbye Girl and Footloose.
3: You're in town, and you're in town. You're in town. It's the first time I ever saw you. That's right
1: fabulous um have you ever eaten pussy uh
3: no all right are you a gold star i gay? don't i'm a gold star gay and i, I don't even Ooh. eat seafood i wish that was gonna be my <laughs> next question
1: what's the one food you never put in your mouth
3: mm-hmm. yeah
1: pussy and seafood do you like when younger gay men call you daddy yes you do when did yes. that start
3: well, well, for me yeah when uh i think well uh he invented
1: I, it
0: <laughs> <laughs> he, he daddy. was daddy zero <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think uh, 45 or 50. Okay, I just turned 60. So, uh, you know, it's weird because uh, I was brought up with that whole idea that when you turn, you know, especially these young kids, you turn 30, it's over. You right. Know, it's, like, it's like no, you become a you become a type, and I I found that as I got into my 40s and 50s. I became more of a commodity than I ever was.
1: I actually have found that as in well my,
3: in my twenties and thirties. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I like it. I like the fantasy. I like the role play. I like the. Whole, I like everything about it. You
1: embraced it. your daddyhood.
3: Oh my god! Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, Finally, this time next year, will Donald Trump still be president?
3: Um, I'd like to say no, but. Uh, I'm going to say probably yes. God, I hope not. I hope not. But a a lot politically would have to happen between now and then. Yes. uh, For him to be removed within a year. Yeah, I, I don't think I, I don't think, think got to get Congress back. First. I don't think he's going to make. Yeah, I think so too, and I don't think he's going to make the full term. I and mean, we were just Dustin and I were talking about how bad he looks, so he might drop dead.
1: I'm hoping because he, he you know, hoping. he eats tons and tons uh, of junk food. Yeah, Rick Chrome, uh, the documentary Oh Rick premieres tonight at the IFC Center. Dustin, how can ordinary folks watch this fabulous movie? Well, hopefully,
0: there's also an encore screening on Monday. Okay, uh, tomorrow, at 3 p.m. Uh, after this, yeah, hopefully um, after it's in the film festival, will be hopefully on Netflix or online at some point. Um, Um, And, yeah, hopefully we'll get it out there.
1: Well, I wish you the best of luck, and I want to thank both of you for coming on, Rick. It's always a pleasure to see you and talk to you. It's been years
3: since I've seen you. It's
1: really been years because I've not been performing. Uh, Next week, Ryan Frostig will be back co-hosting. We'll be talking to another one of my favorite comedians, the hilarious Robin Fox. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Adam Sank. Download my comedy album, Adam Sank, live from the Stonewall Inn. And one more time for Rick Chrome, everyone.
3: Thank you, everybody.
1: And thanks to Katie and JB and Gwen. Have a good week, bitches.